According to my guest today, the average person procrastinates for about two hours a day, which is one quarter of our working day. This is equivalent to starting work in April of each year. And procrastinating is heightened when there are tasks you can't stand doing. And guess what? Sales is one of those things. So stay tuned to learn how you can crush your excuses preventing you from living your best life. Welcome back to a brand new season of the Mindful Sales Podcast. And I'm your host, Anise Kisselbash, founder of Mindful Sales Training. How are you? Thanks for joining me. Now, in the new season of Mindful Sales Podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs and you'll learn from best-selling authors to help you up your game and live the life you love. And I'll introduce you to amazing people all over the world, pick their brains so you can learn from them too. Oh, and every now and then you'll hear from me, my intention in these sessions is just as simple, to inform, inspire, and delight you and help you soar. That's it. So let's get stuck in. I'm excited to bring you today's guest, Piers Steele, author of The Procrastination Equation. Now, some of you might know, some of my subscribers will know, I read his book before Christmas, actually in December, The Procrastination Equation. And Within halfway through the book, I already started saving hours a week. So I thought I have to share this with you. So I caught up with the author, who's also one of the world's leading experts on procrastination. Piers was so kind to give us uh, his time during his week's vacation. And in the interview, Piers Steele explains why we procrastinate. Because when we understand it, we'll know and, and how the brain works. We know how to overcome it. And then he shares a few strategies to overcome procrastination. So let's head on over to the interview now. Piers, it's Anise here from Mindful Sales Training. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for your time. It's a real honor. And uh, like I said in my email, you've actually saved my estimated about two full working days a month. Oh, that's pretty good. And I'm really, really glad. And I hope we can share this. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to have this conversation. So let's first start with the, the title, the subject matter, the procrastination equation. It's an intriguing title, Piers. Can you tell us what you mean by that and you know, your unique approach to the, the study of procrastination? Well, um, procrastination isn't really a mystery. It, it, I mean, from people's own experiences, it, it can be very frustrating. You try and... You have intentions to get things done. You make plans to, and yet when it comes to fulfill, you find it put yourself putting it off to later, even though you know, you know that it would be best if you could have the motivation and do it now. But when we piece it together from hundreds and hundreds of studies, it actually becomes very predictable, and you can put it together somewhat actually in a mathematical equation. Um, but really, it's just a fanciful way of putting together three fundamental variables or, or factors that cause people to procrastinate. Um, two of them are important, and one is absolutely all important. Um, one is your self-confidence regarding a task. If you're uncertain whether you can do it, it tends to take your motivation down a notch, and that um, makes you more susceptible to procrastination. If it's something that you don't enjoy or especially that you find boring there's a lot of things, important things that we find boring taxes among them mm. and paperwork even though important we don't really have doesn't resonate within us so 
if we don't find it um, immediately valuable, we tend to put it off. And the last one is our impulsiveness, and this is really the biggest driver. The other two have to contribute, but this one is, is fundamental. And when we're impulsive, it means that we're very sensitive to time or when rewards are realized. Mm-hmm. So impulsive people have tremendous difficulty delaying gratification. They find themselves very distractible by what's immediately around. And consequently, um, they have a, a mindset, a, a way their mind is actually built that reserves almost all their motivation until just before a deadline. Um, this isn't convenient, <laughs> um, but it's, it's real. And we're actually all impulsive, more impulsive than we are, than, we re- than ultimately we should be. So that's what we find is that, you know, there's, there's variations in the degree of procrastination. Mm-hmm. So and more you know, often than... Sorry. Oh, go on. Uh, so how do you know which one you are? Which type of... Well, it's, uh, usually um, we just record it from personal experience. So we have... Um, uh, we have, I mean, I guess I, unless we want to get really fancy and strap people into a, an fMRI machine, <laughs> those are expensive and very difficult to use. Huh. And then we could do a, a series test. So usually we do it the simple and far, far cheaper way of asking them uh, what, um, you know, how much do you know, procrastinations problem? Do they have difficulty putting things off? Are they tempted by the nearby and available? And we do a series of these, and to the, much, to the degree that people self-report that they agree with them, we can compare with other people who said somewhat or not at all. And we can place you in a ranking in terms of procrastination. But it depends upon people being able to self-report accurately. But we've compared it with actual behavior. And people, you know, they know themselves fairly well, and we get a, a, pretty, um, a pretty precise estimate in the end. So, and then we compare, we compared across the entire world, we compared across different languages, we've compared across different age groups, we've, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, and apparently, the, so far, the winning group, not individual, winning group, is young Irish males. <laughs> I'm young Irish single males, to be precise. Oh, I see. The, um, I'm young Irish unemployed single males, to be super precise um so they um that's the work group that reports the highest level of procrastination so fascinating so going back to the three types of procrastinate you you mentioned the the impulsiveness now that's the most critical one can you talk a bit more about that like there was one bit in your book you mentioned the proximity to temptation is one of the deadliest determinants oh yeah that's right because we we're going along thinking our, that we, we're almost completely rational beings, and, and at best we're quasi-rational, which means that we have um, these heuristics, these decision-making shortcuts in our head that work really, really well for, let's say, a hunting-gathering society, but doesn't work so well in the environment we've built for ourselves. In fact, we've built an environment for ourselves that it purposely exploits these little hiccups, like our, our oversensitivity to the immediately available. That's why we put um, lotto tickets and candy by checkout counters hmm. and convenience stores. The, um, in this case, the, the, the nearby, it actually activates part of the brain called the limbic system. 
And that's not the part that made the plants. Plants are usually made with the prefrontal cortex. So when something that's very kind of, uh, I would say, you know, shiny, available, you can smell it, you can see it, it's activating your senses, you know, sight, sound, smell, touch, the, you're much more likely to have a craving for or want it. You can see this for ex-cigarette smokers or people trying to quit smoking, that usually a certain type of environmental cue, something from the outside that heightens their desire for it whether it be a, some friends, a locale, a drink, and that's when it becomes very difficult for them to kind of cope with this desire because the limbic system has a direct line. We can look technical here to the amygdala, and the amygdala is the source of your strong emotions. So when you are in, put yourself in an environment with temptations nearby, you're not really kind of operating in sync with your own operating system, your own brain, the way it's designed. You're putting um, temptations in a way that makes it very difficult for you to say no. Now, the obvious thing to do for it would be, well, don't surround yourself with temptations. Mm-hmm. Now, um, this is kind of from the outside-in way of self-control. You put yourself in an environment. You create environments mm-hmm. that actually help you get things done. And, of course, um, one of the worst things for this is our, our, our laptops, our computer systems, because we use it for we use the same place, the same screen, same keyboard, the same seat, for both work and play. So we're we're building up associations for two competing sources of actions, and that makes it very difficult to concentrate on one thing because you're actually being cued to do two things. You know, the outside now is associated with two sources of possibilities. Um, and if you some professional programmers solve this by simply having a separate laptop that they do all their gaming on. Isn't that what you so did? They, you did that? Um, um, well, at the office. I, I, I simply use an office at the uh, university, and I just don't work there. That works very well. <laughs> but um, also, there's other ones you can actually use. For, for example, some people have alternate logons. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that works very well. So you have a separate logon for your play stuff and that's a separate theme separate background separate music you, you can load a different pack in a few seconds really so it has different cues and then in order to get into your alternate kind of more um, maybe social media logon or play logon you can also put a short password and that's actually the password is just more of a, a delay and it makes it more a conscious choice to go from one medium to another and we find again and again across all these modalities, from food to exercise to work, of course, that if there's a small delay between you and a temptation, not a big one, like mm-hmm. 10, 15 seconds sometimes will suffice, mm-hmm. people tend to make far more rational choices about whether they should indulge. Mm, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. That worked yeah. with me, yeah. I, following your advice in your book, I deleted all of the passwords yeah. And it's literally that 10 seconds it takes to punch it in, I suddenly close the window down. Yeah. So why does that work? Why does it happen? Um, because um, you're now forcing some of the process. Um, if under a 10-second window, it's almost entirely limbic in the decision-making. We actually are of two minds. Hmm. You know, we, we, we want to do something and yet not want to do it. We actually have two decision-making systems, the way the brain involved. It, it was, I think, sometimes think of it as a 
originally started off as a you know, single floor flat or bungalow, and then the second floor with new neighbors got put in, and, but they're still responsible for the same mortgage. So the, the upstairs neighbors are the prefrontal cortex and the more sedate, but they got built afterwards. They're literally part of the neocortex, which is just a fancy way of saying new bark, you know, a new layer on top. We got built. Our, the prefrontal cortex got built on top of an already existing decision-making system. It's one we share with our other animals like dogs. I mean, we really have, literally have a dog brain inside us, and it works the same way. It's, you know, squirrel or a rough, you know, the, you know, treats, you know, it, it responds to what's immediately available in the environment. It has very little patience. Hmm. So um, if we kind of put a little bit delay, we're forcing some of our decision making now to go to the prefrontal cortex, which might say, you know what, I think that's a later thing. Um, most of the time, you're not. It, it makes it harder for you to give in to whims, and it's it's such a simple thing. It, it just pro- shows um, how profoundly um, uninformed we are of the basics how the mind works. I mean, I, I wrote a book. I think this should actually be taught to every um, student. We try to teach it to every student at our university to great success. Hmm. But it's it, there's you know there's no. This is something we're just finally piecing together in in probably the last ten years. It'll probably be another ten or twenty years before it becomes completely permeated throughout our society. But actually, it is already in one place, and that's in marketing. Marketers have an exquisite understanding of how the mind works. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and how to exploit this, and all those like in-game apps and in-game purchases. Hmm. (laughs) They've got you locked down six ways from Sunday. Mm. They know exactly how, you know, those instant purchases before you can think about, is $20 too much, to, 20 pounds too much to spend on this? Exactly, yeah. So let's take this one, the, the impulsiveness, because you mentioned the, the other two. Just is that one for now. Strategies, you've also mentioned, already mentioned a couple, like the delay tactics. What other yeah. strategies can we adopt to overcome this procrastination and get stuff done? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Um, Fundamentally, yeah, we're doing two things. Mm. One thing is that um, we are making it more difficult to get to temptations and making temptations less obvious. You know, we are, um, you know, whether you know, food that's in a tin will be consumed less readily than one on, than cookies on a plate. That's and that if you put that tin in the pantry, it's even be less likely to consume that. So you're making things less obvious, and you can we can go through all those things. That's one. Mm. The other side is to make the work you're doing more obvious and more structured. Mm. So we're we're just reversing the entire procedure now on what you want to want to do. And what we've done here is mostly um, reverse engineering. If you if you think about it, it's quite it's quite simple and quite obvious. Um, but you know we've only really kind of started to to get it within again the last ten years or so. And that is that when do you have, when do most people typically have most of their motivation? First thing in the morning. Well, first thing in the morning, that's when they have energy. That's good, too. Yeah. Like, we can talk about that one. Yeah. But also just before the deadline. Yes. <laughs> so we, we, we reverse engineered the deadline. Okay, mm. this is, what is it about this? This thing, this, this moment in time. And, and we've done experiments um, with 
seeing how to manipulate it and what, what makes it go up and down. They find, well, it is if you have a um, very specific short-term goal that you're, this actually makes the limbic system work in conjunction with the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. Now, nature doesn't always provide them. I mean, um, journalists get them provided every day. Um, but for the rest of us, we often have to develop them ourselves. So we have to make these artificial deadlines and artificial goals. And the entire process is called goal setting. And they tend to be work really well. If you're, they're somewhat challenging, but not so challenging that you can't commit to it. Um, we find out when people finish a goal, they tend to stop. So if you don't make it challenging at least a little, you've probably let a lot of motivational energy and accomplishment on the table. Mm-hmm. It has to be oh so specific. Um, this is where people usually fall down. Can you give an um, example of, of what, how oh, I mean, Yeah, let's say um, I, I plan to exercise this weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, it's a goal. It's this weekend. But really what you wanted to craft it was after breakfast on Saturday morning, I'm going to go to, immediately after breakfast, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to um, do the 9.30 class. Okay. That is far more motivational because it's very specific. And the limbic system loves, doesn't deal with the abstract almost at all. The um, limbic system likes things very concrete. So the more concrete and specific you have, the more motivation. It has to be short-term, too. Um, shorter-term also helps. And it also helps if you do it something as your approach. Um, approach works really well because approach is something you want to be doing, not one you're something you're avoiding. Like if somebody said, well, I'm going to avoid eating sweets. Um, there's certain problems with that. For example, you can't have um, motivational, you can't have, um, it's impulsive. You can't impulsively not eat sweets. Mm. You know, you're not going towards anything. You're moving away. And yeah. that has motivational problems. Yes, I used uh, that exactly. Instead of saying avoid social media, I said use my time purposefully. Yes, yes. And it's, it's much more, it, it is drawing you towards something. And as you get closer towards it, you, you, it, it, you tend to have more motivation. It's, the other one is, it, it's also um, punishers really are only good. Uh, this is a side issue, but for, a, for trying to stop a behavior, you're not just trying to stop a behavior. You're trying to start a new one. Hmm. So it's, it's better to craft it as having a replacement behavior. You always want to uh, crafting a replacement behavior that overrides, overwrites, your, or one that you find less effective is a much better way than just focusing on stopping one. Hmm. Okay. Uh, um, energy. You brought that up one of them. Maybe, you'd be surprised at how few people really use their energy well. Um, what's your energy? When do you have most? You said you have most energy in the morning. What, what time? Um, I'd say I'm an early riser, so around six, seven, six or seven o'clock. Oh, you're an early riser. Oh, I, I'm, I'm one not of those. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, it actually helps to be an early riser. Um, how long does that last for? Uh, do you mean the energy? Yes. Um, up until around, I think about 11 or 12. Okay, yeah. so you have five, six good hours. That's pretty good. Um, and so, um, what we find is just have people 
okay, what is your most difficult and most important work? Mm-hmm. And um, crazy suggestion, why don't you do it when you have most energy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's, <clears throat> you know, scheduling. It's a resource. You have a, 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 I would say, a motivational rich window in your day. It starts early and ends Monday. And with that, you can you um, are can accomplish far far more than other parts of the day. Mm-hmm. So, so just and we find if people simply follow that edict that they should do important and hard work when they have the most energy, mm-hmm. instead of emailing or dithering. Mm-hmm. Um, that afternoon, after lunch, um, you can you, you sometimes you know you don't really even have to work that hard at all. If you could get in five or six good hours in the morning when you're really rich, you could actually do much, much, much more than somebody who got a late start and then started afternoon when their motivational energy was not at their peak. Hmm. Like a lot of people, for example, um, wait until they have this circadian rhythm drop, uh, drop around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon to start in the most important work. A disastrous choice, really. Yeah. The, um, and, of course, when you're tired, it makes the difficult excruciating mm-hmm. and you're most likely to put it off um there's other there's other benefits um you want to make when you work a habit um the the limbic system really isn't against you it just needs to be trained so if you have a habit of working at a particular time it'll build up the associations and say oh this is the time we work well we should work and you'll feel uncomfortable if you're not working at that time mm. and and the payoff really is um, more time for actually, you know, having a social network, for having friends, for, for perhaps bringing a dinner party. Because at time and time again, we find it's these type of personal, face-to-face interactions with those you care about is when people report themselves as most happy. So the benefit of being more productive is that you can spend quality time with people rather than feeling that, you know, you're, you're being cheated out of life by your commitment. Yes, court. that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And uh, can you ask just, answer just one more about the self-confidence thing? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs face that. Oh, how self-confidence works? Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting for entrepreneurs. Um, th- there's a little wobble in that area. Um, you, you'd have to get a little, start getting a little bit complicated that um, motivation actually goes through um, at least two discrete stages. And I'll just do the two-stage model, which mm-hmm. is fine for now. Um, it's goal choice and goal striving. So when you're in goal choice, choosing what you want to do, you are, you know, the more confidence you have for it, the more likely you're going to say, I'm going to do that. I can do that. So confidence and goal choice, you know, your intention of where you're going to go, they, they work together well. Um, but now we're coming back during goal striving, the actual work, working on it and how much you're going to put into it. And this is, you know, the classic Aesop's, uh, the tortoise and the hare story, mm-hmm. is that if you're now so overconfident that you can do it easily, you tend to underinvest. And this is a, quite a danger for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs tend to be more confident than the average person because you have to be in order to, to start a business. 
you know, it's, it's a, it, you know, it's, it, this requires skills and, and, and um, ability, and that usually requires above average, well above average from the rest of the population. You better be very good at what you do. And so you probably feel that, and hopefully rightly so. So you've initiated this venture. Now, though, you're not just you're competing against other entrepreneurs who are also very good and also usually put in it, the effort. And at this point, it tends to benefit you from thinking, not being overconfident, from being saying, you know what, um, this is going to be difficult. This isn't going to be easy, but I can do it. That with the effort and preparation and thought, um, it's called success contingent on hard work. If you have if the idea that I can be successful if I work hard and I work smartly at it, then um, and I work intelligently, mm-hmm. then I can be successful. That's a much better attitude than saying I'm so good that you know uh, this is going to come to me easily. Mm. So, Carol so, Dweck so it's says, a calibration issue. Yeah, Carol Dweck calls it the the growth mindset, right? Versus the um, I can't remember the one that that rewards effort. Oh yeah, that's right, and it's um, I'm sure. I mean, all these things. Um, we have thousands of people who are looking at them, mm-hmm. and um, usually they have. And you know, the truth is about there. There's also people get it wrong or oversimplify, mm-hmm. but usually everything is multiply discovered. Um, the real thing is just trying to put it together into an integrated whole, mm-hmm. and that's basically what I do at the university. We try and kind of take all these pieces. Um, all these motivational pieces of a puzzle and put it together into one consistent picture. And we've been pretty successful with that. Yeah. So, um, um, and then having done that, we try to put it into a book, at least, you know, that procrastination equation to make it more um, accessible to everyone. Mm, it's brilliant. And it's then after well that, I, we started trying to market a bit, and then I found I wasn't very good at marketing. <laughs> so I went back to being a professor. <laughs> but it's a good book, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. It's the um, um, people usually, when they finally do end up reading it, they give it usually five stars. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, it, right now we, the, um, I find out that I, what I really love is doing the research. So I really did have a lot of fun writing that book, too. Brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Well, thanks. This was fun. Thank you so much, Piers. Oh, my pleasure. And you enjoy the rest of your day. Um, I will. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. Pleasure. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. And that's all for today's episode. I'm Anise Kizilbash. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I can't recommend the procrastination equation enough. You can link to it on my website if that's where you're listening to this podcast or you can go to the usual places like Amazon and then type in the procrastination equation. If you'd like, you can read my own review of the procrastination equation. You can go to my blog, mindfulsalestraining.net forward slash procrastinating, how to stop it so you can sell more. And, and most of all, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Twitter, A-N-I-S-Q-I-Z. Of course, my website, mindfulsalestraining.net subscribe to my newsletter i send my best stuff to my subscribers it's free and uh, of course you can subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode and please share it with your friends and your tribe you know i really appreciate appreciate your time and your attention i never take it for granted your encouragement really motivates me 
do more, to go the extra mile and reach out to these amazing people, pick their brains so that I can serve you more and help you do more and be more. So thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. And I hope you join me next week. Have a powerful week.